Welcome to church. Welcome to this Sunday. Um, we'll be reading from Paul's first letter to Timothy chapter 2, beginning from verse 1 to 7. And it reads, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Paul's letter to Timothy was that, uh, was that of a pastor writing to another young uh, believer who he also uh, was a pastor. Paul, Titus, and Timothy, they had formed this trio. If you read the book of Acts, chapter 16, you'll notice that Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And they, the three of them, Timothy, Titus, and Paul, they would journey and preach the gospel. And when they made their way to the city of Ephesus, Paul found the church was in disarray because there were false teachers who were greedy. Some of them were uh, preaching things that were not based on Christ, but really based on their speculation or things that were very obscure. And none of them preached Christ or the Christian lifestyle of love. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, I need you to stay here. Stay here as I, as I travel to Macedonia, and there are a few things that we have to get right for these believers, because it's not to their uh, advantage when they hear false teaching, and hence their faith is compromised. I feel like the same is true in our day and age today. There's just so much teaching out there, and I've said this before, teaching that is not based on Christ is weak preaching. No matter how cleverly packaged it is, if it's not based on the gospel of Jesus and the grace that God has provided for us written in the scripture, it means nothing. It might help us for a time being. The teaching might tickle our ears, but if it's not based on Christ, it does not lead us to eternal life. It does not lead us to Christ himself. It might lead us to be to feel good about ourselves, or self-absorbent or feel like we're doing something to get somewhere, but that preaching does not take us anywhere. We live in a time where we have the pandemic that has forced us to stay at home. And by that, there's not much we're doing out there. So we're just consuming every piece of news that comes, you know, you have the pandemic that has kept us in. You have the fires that are burning here in California. You know, 
lightning starting some of them, whereas uh, a gender reveal party is also starting fires. And so you have this bombardment of things that you really don't have control over, and yet you're supposed to quarantine or stay, uh, keep your safe uh, distance, and there's not much you can do. And so we just end up consuming all this information that's out there, especially the ones that make us sort of feel good. And I'm pretty sure there are podcasts out there, there are teachings out there, maybe on TV, that you listen to and you feel good about yourself, but it does not draw you closer to Christ. And this is the, the state of the church in Ephesus that Paul went, Paul and Timothy, when they arrived, they saw. And Paul saw this first time and he said, no, 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 something needs to be addressed here. We cannot just pass on by just because we shared the gospel once, we preached the good news once. We cannot leave them to their own devices. We cannot let men like Hymenus and, um, and Alexander just come in here while they're away and bring shallow teaching that does not edify the body of Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy, you've got a work to do. And Timothy probably felt disqualified. He probably went, I'm a young person. I don't feel qualified. Like these are elders. These are people who, you know, who have been leading the church. And Paul says, I know you're young, but there's work to be done. God wants to use you. And I don't know what excuse you might be having in this season, in this time. God is telling you, you're not young, you're not too naive, you're not too ignorant. There is work to be done. There's, there's this one thing that we just see that Paul emphasizes just from the get-go. And I know it's going to come to you as very shocking, right? Paul says in, cha- uh, I mean, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, I exhort you, that first and foremost... Before you do anything else, Timothy, before you start thinking of strategies of how we can resolve the problem that's happening in the church in Ephesus, there's one thing that I want you to do. And what is that one thing? He says, I want that prayers and supplications and intercession with thanksgiving be offered for all people. I know it's shocking. When you and I go through trials and and tough times, when there's sickness in our homes, sickness in our bodies, when we're financially depleted, when we have no way out, I wonder what your first response is. Do you contact everyone on your phone list? You know, you group chat everyone. I know it's so hard to get out of those group chats. I tried. Trust me. So hard. Or do you go to your Facebook group, you know, or to your WhatsApp group and you text everyone about everything that's going on? Or you try to do it, go solo. Try to find every, you know, you are the fixer, right? That's what you're known for. You try to fix every area of your life. When people look at you, they think you've got it together. But in actuality, you're struggling. You're trying to find ways to fix this problem that you're facing. I do not blame you because I too sometimes find myself in the same state. I'm trying to find, trying to find all the means I can to resolve an issue before I even think of, oh, let me pray about it. Why? Because prayer just comes as a last resort. 
See, Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, I know you're a young man. You know, if you're young, you know, you just can't sit idly by. You just can't see things going to waste. You want to do something. Like, you don't want to see things get from bad to worse. Like, you feel like you have the energy, you have the time to save the day. Right? Like, that's what we've been watching. We've been watching heroes come and heroes that don't just sit idly by. They save the day. And maybe, maybe you're not young. You, you have a family. And all your life, you have learned and you've coped with doing things to save the day. And this does not come natural to you to just say, okay, what am I, you know, encountering right now? Let me pray about it. That does not cross your mind. Because we humans have a tendency. See, that's the thing. That's the thing that trips us. We build tendencies. We build habits that we tend to run to over and over again. What is your tendency when you're faced with a situation that you should be bringing to God? What do you go back to over and over again? Do you get into a denial phase? You think, oh, if I just sleep it away, the problem will go away. Do you find someone to blame? If I point enough accusing fingers, somebody's got to do something. Do you condemn yourself? Do you beat yourself up? Because you are the perfectionist. Like, to you, everything has to line up. Everything has to work out. And because... You cannot fix this. You are whooping yourself. You're blaming yourself. You're condemning yourself. You can't get enough sleep. You're not eating. You're depressed. Your anxiety has gone past high. And now you feel like you just need to numb yourself with medication. Tendencies are dangerous. They may help you for a while but they did not help resolve the problem. So this young man, Timothy, he's excited to do something. And Paul says, hold up, wait a minute. There's no no shortcut here, uh, Timothy. First and foremost, I want you to pray. Now, I know, what is prayer, right? Like, Paul is asking Timothy to pray. So, you're probably going, yeah, right, I've heard that before. I mean, I've faced problems in life, I mean, in life, and I've prayed about them, and nothing happened, right? And yet here Paul is saying, pray. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Prayer is simply talking to God. And as we'll learn from, uh, from this scripture reading, this is a call to action that we need to take first. So Paul tells in verse 1, he says, I exhort you that you pray. Pray for all people. Not just for yourself, but for all people. See, we live in a world where we want things immediately. It's very difficult for us to trust God and just pray about something first. Um, I have a two-year-old son who is very impatient. And by impatient, like, I'm not talking about how he can't wait uh, for his bottle of milk to be warmed, impatient. I'm talking about this kid 
sitting in front of a tablet, right? And he opens a show he wants to watch. I mean, I didn't teach him that. He learned all of that by himself. So he knows how to open this show on YouTube, right? And it starts buffering. You know that little um, circle thing that runs around loading? He just loses it. He just begins bawling and crying and he's so helpless. And that thing only loads for like a second or two. I know some of you parents are already jumping in or, or young people. You're like, your child is crying because you have slow internet. You have 4G, get 5G. You know, your problem will be solved in an instant. We're just talking about a world where we are conditioned that anything that's not instant cannot gratify. And so prayer sometimes to you, it might seem like that loading sign, right? God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I prayed 2.3 seconds ago. I'm waiting. And we just get frustrated. We just can't wait. And yet, as Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not prepare us for the greater works. But prayer itself is the greater work. Why is prayer such a priority in the church? If we want to understand why prayer is so important and why prayer should be a priority for you and me, we should look none other than Jesus. In the life and ministry of Jesus, everything that he did was drenched in prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says that Jesus would rise early in the morning to pray. Before he began his day, he started his day in prayer. I don't know about you. Again, we talked about tendencies, right? When I wake up, my first tendency is to grab my phone and scroll through it, right? I want to see the news of the day. I want to go to Instagram and like a few things. The fear of missing out, like what did I miss out while I was asleep? I want to get, I want to be in the know. Like I want to grab and scroll through my news feed, see what's happening with the world. I want, you know, I want to know what are the Democrats saying? What are the Republicans saying? That's my instinct. But look at Jesus. Jesus, his instinct was to wake up and seek the face of God. He is God, and yet he started his day with prayer. Look at Jesus when he was baptized. In Luke chapter 3, the Bible says, you know, as people were getting baptized, Jesus gets into the river Jordan and he gets baptized. Luke records to us, he says, when Jesus prayed, the heavens opened. Not only that, we look at when ministry need arose, Jesus prayed. And after he prayed, he was able to select the 12 disciples. Nothing, there's nothing that Jesus did that he did not start with in prayer. When the crowds gathered to listen to his teaching and they hungered not just for the spiritual word, but hungered physically, they needed to eat. An opportunity presented itself. There were a few fish and loaves that were brought. What does the Bible say? Jesus prayed and that the fish and loaves multiplied and he fed 5,000 men. In John 11, in the town of Bethany, a man named Lazarus was dead. For four days, he was in the grave. 
and Jesus showed up and Jesus prayed and called Lazarus out of the grave. All the, as we can see, prayer was, was part and parcel and foundation of every area of ministry that Jesus accomplished while on earth. The blind were able to see, the deaf were able to hear, the lame were able to walk, the sick had their infirmities cured when Jesus laid his hands and prayed for them. So, you might say, yeah, that's Jesus. He's God, right? Like, it makes sense. He didn't struggle with prayer. Like, let's look at the ordinary men and women who followed Jesus. The early church, for example. They too made prayer a priority. Just go back to the book of Acts and see where it starts with them being in the upper room, right? I mean, after Jesus ascends to heaven. They're in the upper room and they pray. On the day of Pentecost, they are praying and the Holy Spirit comes and fills the house and tongues of fire rests on their head. They were praying. The church needed provision. They prayed and God would provide. When the church went through persecution, they prayed and God delivered them. God gave them courage. God gave them boldness and God gave them what to speak when the times of trial came. The ch- The early church was a powerful church because they were a praying church. You see, you can only have power when you pray. A prayerful Christian is a powerful Christian. A prayerless Christian is a... You can finish the sentence. So which camp are you in this morning? Are you praying? Are you making prayer a priority? Or does it come as an afterthought? Are you part of that statistic that says an average Christian prays three minutes a day if you include meals, uh, prayer during meals? Or do you honestly seek God bringing your needs before him? My hope, my prayer is not, you're not just part of that statistic. I'm not urging you to pray more than three minutes. My appeal to you is when you wake up, when you're faced with things life throws at you, do you come to, do you take the first step in prayer? Or do you seek other avenues first before you pray? So coming back to this scripture, I know we're still stuck in verse one. I know we might be here all day. Well, thankfully, um, you know, I'll probably be be cut out so we won't take the whole day but we're still in verse one and paul says the first thing you have to do timothy is pray and what does he say he says make all supplications all intercession all prayers and thanksgiving pray for all people and when the bible says all people it means all people okay i know it's jarring right Because if I look at my prayer life, to be honest, 80% of the time I'm praying about me and my problems and my worry. And remotely, do I extend that to my family and everything that's going on? And if you're really lucky, you make it in my prayer list of friends. But Paul is saying, pray for all people. All people. He says, pray for the leadership. Pray for the king. Pray for those in authority. 
I know we're coming to election season and this is not the kind of thing you probably want to hear. You just want to see change, right? God is saying, you want to see change? Pray. But God, I do not hold the same belief as the politician. God says, pray, pray for them. Because in praying for them, will you, will you live in peace? Will you live the quiet and godly life that I've called you to? That's what verse 2 says. You're going, but God, I, yes, I did not vote for him. God says, pray. I didn't vote for her. God says, pray for them. But God, I, pr- God, I voted for them. All the more reason to pray if they're not even upholding the end of the deal. So in this time as a nation, let's pray. Let's pray for the authority that God has put above us. Now, I don't say this lightly just to make fun of the left and the right or make fun of the elephant and the donkey, not to make light of the political situation we're in because we live in a very polarized climate right now, heading into election season. But you have to understand that Paul is telling Timothy, pray for those in authority. And you know who was in authority? A man named Nero. He was the emperor. This is the man who persecuted the church. Like, he was considered the devil in the flesh. You know, he would take Christians, dress them in animal skins, throw them in the Colosseum, and let wild animals have their way with Christians as they're torn and ripped apart. And you have crowds in the, you know, in the stadium cheering as believers are ripped and shredded by wild animals. Not only did he stop there, he would take Christians and tie twigs around them, light them on fire. And as they burn, he would ride on his horse and proclaiming, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world, literally lighting them on fire to their death. And yet Paul still has the guts to tell Timothy, And say, let's pray for those in authority. I know maybe this is not the kind of message you are expecting to hear about prayer. But the reality is, the Bible says we should pray for all people. Jesus himself would teach. He would say, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. So this is not a one-off thing. This is what we are continually called to do. Now, let me unpack the nature of, there there are seven natures of prayer that the Bible records for us. But four of them, Paul would go on highlighting in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And the first thing that Paul highlights here, he mentions supplication. In your version, it might say requests. Supplication is a form of prayer where you bring your needs before God. Now, I feel like I don't need to explain this because we are all experts at it. We know what to pray for for ourselves. We know the needs that we have. And Paul is saying, bring those needs before God. This bodes well for so many of us. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in most languages, prayer is translated as begging or appeasing, or asking, you know. 
We don't get to see all these other attributes and nature of prayer in other languages. So for me, this is, this is the one thing that I go, I get it. This is all about me coming before God and presenting my needs and begging for forgiveness or begging for his salvation because I didn't grow up speaking English. So my first instinct is to think of supplication when I hear prayer. The Bible says that God already knows what I need even before I say it, before I bring it to him in prayer. So the question would be, What's the point if God already knows my need? Why pray? Because it shows our utter dependence and trust in God. When we come to God in supplication, we're saying, God, we depend on you. I do not depend on my strength. I'm not depending on the strength of the community around me, although you have supplied them to help me and walk through this journey. But God, I am solely dependent on you. That is what supplication is all about. Paul tells Timothy, he says, get into supplication. Bring the needs of the church before God, Timothy. Before, we take, before you take any action, bring the needs of the church. Bring your need, your personal need before God. Call unto me, the Bible says, Jeremiah chapter 33. Call unto me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know of. When we come before God in supplication, he will answer. Not only does supplication help us in bringing our needs before God, but when we pray in supplication, our will is aligned with God's will. When we make that prayer, we align our will with God's will. Not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Remember that prayer that Jesus prayed? The same thing. When we come to God in supplication, our will gets aligned with his and he answers our prayers. The second nature of prayer that uh, Paul would highlight here is prayers. And in the Greek term here, again, translated, it means personal devotion. Now, this is moving past just begging God, past asking God for the needs, the things that we want. This is more of us just in the moment of prayer, being aware of who God is, being in awe of his nature and character and the power that he possesses. And when we are making a prayer of personal devotion, we are really worshiping. We worship God not just only in songs and and hymns, which is great, but in prayer we worship him too. Now, why is it important to adore God? Because it brings, it reminds us, it brings this sense of awareness of how limited we are as man and how awesome and great and powerful God is. Because here's the thing, when we pray, when we adore God and surrender things in his hands, What we're essentially saying is, God, you are God, and you can handle this problem. Could that be the reason why you feel like your prayer is limited? Oh, man, it's a difficult difficult thing to pray about. It's an impossible prayer. I can't pray such things, you might say. Well, you know, difficulty is part of an equation. 
something is only difficult with reference to an agent that is carrying out the action. How do I know? I'm glad you asked. I have my boys, right? Five and two. Like, my sons, they love to lift things up, lift things up, you know. Ethan wants to believe he's going to be an Olympian, you know, uh, when Olympics comes in LA. I don't know how soon that will be, if he'll be, even be eligible, right? Because he's watched the uh, preparation for the 2020 Olympics that's happening next year. And he's been lifting weights, right? And he picks up this dumbbell and he goes, this is heavy. I can't lift it. It's difficult, right? And I, I turn to him, being the father that I am, and go, it's not difficult. Let me show you. And then I lift the dumbbell, right? With one hand. He's been trying the entire time, digging his heels in with all his muscles and energies got going. And he can't even lift that thing one foot off the ground. And yet here I am, I come and pick it up with just one hand. Now, I'm not the strongest man in the universe, but if you get my illustration early, I won't have to preach much. Are we the Ethans of this world trying to say this prayer is difficult to make? And yet if we just remember who our Heavenly Father is, that to Him, the Bible says nothing is impossible. When we adore God in our personal devotion, we invite Him to the space of Him being who He is. And therefore, what seems difficult to you, what seems impossible to you, is totally possible with God. Amen? So Paul does not only stop about uh, talk about supplication and prayers. He goes ahead and says, make intercession. is praying, bringing the needs of others before God. Not my needs, but other people's needs before God. Now, this is the one we, I personally struggle with the most, you know. And to be honest, I get a lot of prayer requests. Oh, David, pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for my job. Pray for my kids. And in all, in all honesty, I try my best to remember those in prayer. But there are days, there are moments when I just don't have it in me. Right? Where I just go, dear God, bless me. Keep me safe from COVID. Amen. I'm going to bed. And I forget to bring the needs of others before God. In this pandemic season, a lot, a lot of people have been wondering, with the church closed, with ministry not being done in person, how can I be serving God in this season? I am glad you asked that question. Do you know how you can be serving God in this season? By being an intercessor. In my many years that I have served and been in ministry and shared the gospel, I've never come to a church where they said, you know what? We have enough intercessors. We don't need more intercessors. Why don't you try being a pastor? Why don't you try being a teacher of the word? Why don't you go? Why don't you try being a Sunday school teacher? Why don't you help uh, with the choir ministry? This is a ministry for everyone. You're wondering what God's will for your life in this season is? Intercession. Pray for other people. Bring their needs before God. 
Now is not the time for us to throw in the towel. Now is the time for us as church to rise up and intercede for every brokenness that we see in our society. Now is the time for us to intercede, to see justice prevail. Because God is not just a God of love. God is not just a God of mercy, which we clearly and abundantly preach about. But God is a God of justice. He does not reward the wicked and punish the innocent. And if he's calling us as a church to stand up for justice at a time as this, let us do our part. Intercede. When we intercede, God intervenes. I know that's a great quote. You want to put uh, you want to put that for inspiration. Go ahead, be my guest. When we intercede, God intervenes. So Paul tells Timothy, "Let intercession be made." Because Abraham interceded, Moses interceded. You want to talk about intercession? Turn to Daniel chapter nine. That's my go-to scripture when it comes to intercession, where Daniel fasted and repented for his sin and the sins of the nation in the hands of a king who was wicked and had taken the uh, nation of Israel captive. Jesus, if we want to talk about interception, Jesus is the goat, right? I mean, there's this debate of LeBron being the, the goat or Michael Jordan being the goat. Jesus is the God. He's the greatest of all time. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me. Not only does Paul highlight that we need to make our supplications known to God, that we should pray with our personal devotion and exclaim the allness and goodness and awesomeness of God. Not only does Paul stop there, in intercession. The fourth thing that Paul highlights here, he says, with thanksgiving, pray for all people. Pray while giving thanks. The Bible encourages in Psalms 100 that we should enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We should give praise to the name of the Lord. When we come before God, we should come joyful, thankful. When we come before God, it should not just be about us petitioning him for the things we want, things we need. The Bible says we should come in his presence, come in his thoughts with thanksgiving, with praise in our mouth. It is important for us to give thanks to God. Because when we, don't, when we are not grateful people, we take things for granted. I don't know if I've mentioned this or if you remember me, uh, if you remember hearing this from me. I've always said the fact that you right now, you're in the United States. No matter whether you're rich, poor, homeless, or you have the biggest square foot under your roof. You ought to be grateful because almost two-thirds of the world is not experiencing what you're experiencing right now. When we're not thankful, it's easy to take things for granted. It's easy for us to, uh, to complain and murmur about everything when we're not thankful. I'm not saying things are perfect, but we can still be thankful. 
we're just in verse one and we just ran out of time. If there's anything that we can learn this morning is make prayer a priority. That's all Paul was trying to tell the church. That's what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. He said, make prayer a priority. Not an afterthought, but the first thing that you do. Come before God. Present your need before him. Offer devotion to him. Intercede. Stand in the gap for others. And more importantly, be thankful. Even in the most difficult situation right now, you can be thankful. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for your word, for reminding us how powerful prayer is. God, you modeled this yourself when you walked the earth. God, every sign and wonder that was performed under heaven here on earth were marked with your prayer. God, I pray in this season that we'll come before you and simply pray for all people and not just ourselves. And God, I pray in this time, I pray for our government. I pray for the elected officials. I pray for those you've put in authority. God, grant them wisdom to rule justly. God, I pray for all of us that form part of the system that helps serve the greater good. God, I pray that you will use us to bring peace and unity and bring transformation in our neighborhoods. God, I pray that you will use this church, you will use us in this moment, in this season, to bring your love and grace. Help our eyes stay focused on you. God, we lift the broken, we lift the persecuted. God, we lift... uh, the disenfranchised. God, we lift the marginalized people into your hands. They are your children. God, may we not only reach them through what we give or what we say, but Lord, may we continue to lift them in prayers to you. God, I pray that you find each and every soul watching this message faithful. That Lord, your hand will be upon them, that you'll protect them, that you'll Guard and guide them. Lord, we trust you. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the price that you paid. Lord, help us walk in your love, in your grace, in your freedom that comes from believing and trusting in you. We pray all this trusting in Jesus' name. Amen.